0: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit JDPower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or SleepNumber.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a
1: thing. Daniel Bryan is the story of SummerSlam 2010 outside of the obvious that of course we will get to and this seems very timely given that Daniel Bryan may be heading to AEW very soon but if you wanted to know how WWE kind of always saw the American Dragon well he had just been fired for running amok even though he had been told to run amok so I suppose he ran too much But yes, as the Nexus debuted and were told to destroy everything, he took Justin Roberts and Justin Roberts' tie and choked the ring announcer right in front of a camera. But apparently this was too much, so he got kicked out of the door. But even people like John Cena in the aftermath was like, I think that was a little bit stupid. So you just knew that something was going on. This, of course, led to the internet being like, oh, it's a work, it's a work, he hasn't been released. Go and read his autobiography, but also he had a bunch of bookings that he'd already taken on the independent scene. And as Daniel Bryan himself said, when John Laurinaitis went, hey man, really sorry, I'm going to have to let you go. He was like, that's fine with me. Given the controversy, I'm about to make more outside of the WWE than the cash you were giving me. And it's little quotes like this, which make you love Diane Bryan even more. And of course he did return to the company when asked, cause in 2010, if you wanted to make long-term cash, this is where you did it. And you can't really argue that it was a bad move. Within four years, he was going to be headlining WrestleMania and all of us would be shedding water from our eye sockets jim ross and pat patterson were also part of the crew going vince you've got to hire this guy back what is wrong with you and they went to such lengths to try and protect this from getting out there into wrestling reporter land that when they were practicing the main event for SummerSlam 2010 a tarp was resurrected over the ring i mean they really didn't want this getting out they actually wanted it to be a surprise it's one of the reasons this event is really good. And it's just a shame that this kind of love wasn't shown to the group known as the Nexus because a lot of people say it was this pay-per-view where they died. And don't think that WWE wasn't aware of this? On Raw, 24 hours later, they did a bunch of WWE versus Nexus single matches and while Nexus won, most of them <laughs> was like, it's too late. You had your big opportunity to take over the world and you failed or John Cena won, however you want to see it. So now we spin on you. Which is disgusting, you shouldn't do it. What were you, dragged up? No. So in short, management just saw the group as a way to make a couple of new stars. But they didn't want to make those stars at the expense of the power plays that they already had. Don't try to think about it too much because it will hurt your brain. And let's just do a little dip into the future and see where all the nexus are now. Leader Wave Barrett is now absolutely kicking ass on NXT. But before then, he left the company because he kept being underutilized. Even when he got over that stupid gimmick when he came out of podium and went, ha ha. I've got bad news for you, and it was the best thing ever. They still wouldn't give him the ball. So it's no wonder where his contract came due. He went, yeah, see ya, I'm done. Skip Sheffield would, of course, go on to become Ryback. Well, I don't really know what's going on with Ryback at the moment. I just know sometimes I see his stuff on the internet... And I just hope he's doing okay. I mean that from the bottom of my heart and the bottom of my tootsie toes. I just hope he's in a good and happy place. But is he in WWE at the moment? The answer is no. And while Heath Slater had a terrific run in the company, eventually he got released as well. And Justin Gabriel lasted a few years. Then he became enhancement talent. Any quid. Darren Young was also out in 2017 After that just crazy run with Bob Backlund And Michael Tarver didn't even last 12 months By June 2011, it was bye-bye him And we all know the story with Daniel Bryan Although he was only in the Nexus for a cup of tea And when it comes to David Atunga, This must be one of the great mysteries of the wrestling universe Because I'm 99% sure he's still employed by the company Which is good, I don't want anyone to lose their job but I don't know what he does. I haven't seen him commentate for ages. Obviously, he hasn't been wrestling. So if you know, or you are David Atunga, please leave a comment below. So yeah, it didn't do the job that maybe it was intended to do, but SummerSlam 2010 did seem like it had a lot of buzz about it. I mean, it drew a sellout house to the Staples Center in LA, although it only did do 350,000 buys on pay-per-view, which was down from the previous year. Oh, well, I don't have to worry about that, but welcome to Retro Ups and Downs. And let's do exactly that for the hottest event of the summer, 11 years ago. Right, do you wanna know why people were so upset about what did happen to Nexus at the end of the night? It was because before that, WWE was doing everything right and they were ticking box after box after box. Because our first match was Dolph Ziggler versus Kofi Kingston for the Intercontinental Championship and it didn't have a finish. Now, usually when a match doesn't have a finish, you want to take your hand and just punch yourself over and over again because WWE seems obsessed with it. But here it was the nexus going where we've already said we're going to take over all of WWE and all of WWE means all of WWE. So sorry, Dolph. Sorry, Kofi. We're going to run wild. Vicky Guerrero is also out with Dolph Ziggler here as Michael Cole on commentaries, or like, oh, man, I wonder whether they're boyfriend or girlfriend. I'm like, I don't think you should be saying these things. It's not making me feel good. And Kofi Kingston, once again, just defies the aging process. Like, of course, he does look older now because it is a decade plus, but really, you could put them next to each other and it would be pretty hard to tell the difference. Solid stuff from these two as well, naturally, because even back in 2010, they knew what they were doing. But then, yeah, the Nexus are here and they just beat the absolute crap out of them. And the fans are even like, boo, boo, we don't like this. I mean, we had the world here in our hands and we just pooped it down the toilet. And I don't even know what that means. Wade Barrett is also directing traffic here and he gets on the microphone afterwards and said, Haha, we are going to be the victors when all is said and done. And they feel like a genuine threat. As it turned out, we had around about three hours before all of that ran out. It does make this SummerSlam feel unique, though, and I always enter fancy booking territory. I'm like, man, can you imagine if they actually had one in the main event? Which they didn't, by the way, if you don't know. But in terms of what this was, is get enough. To the back we go afterwards, as Chris Jericho and Edge were trying to recruit Miz to be the seventh member of Team WWE, because, of course, this had been a mystery up to this point, like Evolution, and it was going to be Daniel Bryan, but we needed a red herring, so why not Mr. Money in the Bank? Edge is also throwing on a Slim Jim, here so I presume that WWE had renewed that ad deal and all of this works very well because it does make you think that Miz is going to join but of course he eventually doesn't. I mean it's all your usual topsy-turvy stuff but at least it all here makes sense. Up next was then a huge match and one that will be remembered until the ends of time and i my friends I'm not joking. May Famous thanks to Cameron who would say that it was her favourite match ever on next year's Tough Enough it is indeed Melina versus Alicia Fox for the Divas title. The reason you should go and find this tough enough clip is because you get to watch Stone Cold Steve Austin break our camera. <laughs> Really funny, slight Ralph with them. To defend the future Funkadactyl though, she has said in interviews ever since this: look, i have only been watching wrestling for around about a year, so I didn't really have a realm of knowledge to be able to dip into. So I'm like, okay, yeah, I can understand that, but still down. And the problem is that this is just a WWE Divas match circa the summer of 2010, because they don't get any time, they don't really get any build, and it just ends from nowhere. Honestly, Melina just hits this face buster thing and the referee goes one, two, three, and even the commentators sound a bit power like, wait a minute, is that the end? What are we meant to do? Oh yeah, she did it, I can't believe it. Melina, new Divas champ. This also suffers massively because straight after the fact, out come leg call and they start going, Haha, all of you have got cellulite. Now look, one, I understand that heels are heels and bad guys are bad guys, and two, you need to generate some heat. But between this and everything we did with Piggy James, it just really felt like WWE was swinging a bat and absolutely missing. And yes, look, I know eventually the bullies got theirs, but they certainly didn't on this night because they just kicked the living crap out of Melina and Alicia Fox, and they just laugh, going, ha ha, stupid fat idiots, we win. And at least it doesn't interrupt the match. That would be far worse. But when you take it as a whole segment, I actually think this is pretty bad but at least Cameron liked it. We then got a match that was very typical of 2010, and now watching back in hindsight will make you go, oh my gosh, it's like a massive light bulb going off in my face. Because it was the big show versus CM Punk, Luke Gallows, and Joseph Mercury, who of course were the Straight Edge Society. And this is a good year before CM Punk was going to cut his pipe bomb promo and become a super duper megastar. My word, do you get insight into how WWE was looking at here. Because despite the Straight Edge Society being really Really good and it being a three on one match the Big Show wins. And I tell you, I was sat myself my sofa going, ha, 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 because I had a really strange laugh and I need to go see a doctor to get it sorted. But I talked to the finger of power and it's getting it down. I suppose they did have a bit of an out here because Punk just abandons his team halfway through, which allows Big Show to choke slam Mercury and get the one, two, three. But all I could think of when I was watching this is like, man, it's like the storyline is masking reality because, of course, around about 12 month time, CM Punk was going to want to walk out for real until he got off a lovely new deal really though it just feels like wwe doesn't have a clue what they have with this faction and that while we the fans loved it they just saw them as a middle-in-nothing group and doesn't that suck the answer is yes this also just comes and goes like you visited your nan on a sunday
0: hey i'm ryan reynolds at mint mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot 24
1: Slash Wrestling. We then just get the most bonkers skit that made me feel like I've gone insane. Because you are watching Kane, who is stood by a casket, as you get this music that sounds like somebody hitting the demo button on a Casio keyboard. And he's all going, oh, Undertaker, I'm going to do it for you, Undertaker. Which means he is talking to a coffin while referencing his brother. And this is not normal behavior. It then gets even more crazy because Sheamus walks in and goes, oh, uh, hi there, man. Can I please borrow your casket? Because I want to use it in my match with Randy Orton later. And this wasn't a casket match which means sheamus wanted to murder randy and thought it was perfectly all right to walk up to someone and say hey can i borrow your killing box kane actually answers this question and just goes no that was it for me i was on the floor laughing my ass off i couldn't handle it and then you get this kind of weird sexual tension it's not sexual i don't know why i said it. i've got a massive problem but you get a weird tension here because of course kane is the world heavyweight champion and sheamus is the wwe champion And I don't remember what happened here. I can't remember if they did feud or not. I've watched a lot of wrestling over my years. But that was the tease... And it didn't actually get me excited at all. Out of context, though, it is absolutely bizarre and genuinely creepy. Like, If you'd never watched wrestling before and you saw this, you'd be like, yeah, I don't ever want to watch again. In fact, I'm just going to walk away. You also get the Miz come to the ring and say that he's still debating whether he's going to join Team WWE or not. And this is actually quite well done. He says that John Cena's been begging him and he compares it to LeBron James, who had just left the Cleveland Cavaliers. Look, you needed someone to take the spotlight off of everything that was going to happen. So a round of applause all round. I do have to say, though, while I massively respect the Miz, especially for the career he has had, which is truly untouchable, you could have put this on Raw, even though it was 11 years ago. I don't think anybody would have been able to tell the difference. It was then right into our WWE title match between Randy Orton and Sheamus. And my absolute favorite part of this came within the first five seconds when the commentators went, well, did you know that Sheamus has never beaten Randy Orton even though he pinned his ass on Raw around about five minutes ago. So you've just got to love WWE if they have an idea in their head. Screw it, who needs logic? And also Sheamus here comes out to, it's a shameful thing, lobster head, which he needs to bring back. And if we need to start campaigning for it, Damn it, we've done it before and we should do it again. With all that said, this is really good, so I am going to give it an up. There's also a stipulation here that states if anybody does interfere, they're going to be suspended, which explains why the Nexus don't come out again. And within the first few seconds, they're brawling in the crowd, they're laying their stuff in, as they say. This is very, very easy to watch. What was not is later on when Sheamus goes for a brogue kick, Randy Orton gets out the way, and the Irishman just goes tumbling over the top rope, to the floor. I was like, well, that's it. He's dead. We're never going to see him again, which is stupid of me because I know he's still wrestling. I saw him the other day, but that is how gruesome this is. Now, it does all fall apart a little bit when Orton goes for the RKO and Sheamus gets out of it, but Michael Cole's like, oh my gosh, he hit the RKO and it kind of looked like he did, but also he didn't. But you get over that straight away because Orton goes for another RKO. Sheamus reverses it into the bro kick. He hits it this time. And honestly, Randy must get his shoulder up at like 2.99999. It's really good. The finish is absolutely abysmal though, because despite fighting for 20 minutes, Seamus goes, Oh, fella, I'm gonna get a steel chair. And the referee goes, No, you're not. And he tries to take it off him. They then fight over the steel chair. Obviously, Seamus is twice this man's size. So the referee goes flying out the ring, and as he hits the floor, goes, Well, you know what? I think. That's a disqualification. Randy still tries to make the fans happy by giving Shavers an RK on to the announce table. But that announce table doesn't break. Of course it doesn't break. The announce table was as close to the action as any fan was able to get. And it probably watched this like, man, another disqualification in WWE. What a pants. Crap. I watched 20 minutes for this. So it decided to no-sell the RKO. And I was like, announce table, you damn right, you in our corner. Point is, it's getting it down. Now, the only good part about this is that we do tease, oh my gosh, maybe the Miz is gonna come down with his mind the bank briefcase. But it doesn't. So I don't need to worry about it. Secret piece of trivia for you next, because what happened in the arena straight after this was that it was plunged into darkness as WWE played the trailer for Legendary, which was one of the WWE Studios' new films. And the reason they did this was to distract the audience because The Undertaker was wheeled out there under a hood so he'd be ready for the next match. That's how they do it. This was a tie into our World Heavyweight matchup, which is Kane versus Rey Mysterio. And even then, I was like, come on, man. Rey Mysterio doesn't stand a chance. Surprise, surprise, he didn't. So this really is Kane just trying to kill a smaller man, but because he's a bigger man, every now and then Rey Mysterio would work on his knees. But the fans are deadly silent for this, as if they don't actually know that it's happening. The only thing I could fathom is that they know The Undertaker's going to return, so like, let's all save our voices, and let's all save our energy for then but it really, really is a detriment to this voice. It is the fallout where things get going though, because Kane does just win with a chokeslam as if he's fighting a piece of cheese, and then decides, I'm going to roll Reign's dipio into this casket that I brought down to ringside. And again, this is not a casket match, so Kane think this is perfectly acceptable behavior, and damn it, it is not. Just as he goes to put Ray in it, though, of course, you get The Undertaker's bong and the dead man is back. And this actually cracked me up, because WWE treats that bong as if it's intrinsically linked to The Undertaker. Like, no matter what he does, when he appears, you just get a bong. Like, imagine you went to the dinner with The Undertaker, and he kept going to the bathroom, and every time he came back, he'd get bong. Eventually, be like, Mark, can you just sit down? I am getting really Tired of this. You assume he's going to go after Kane, but instead he gets right in Rey Mysterio's face and starts going an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Why did you do this to me? Why, why, why? And it's just absolute nonsense. Now this is of course down to the fact that somebody had attacked the Undertaker to write him off television, but we were trying to pretend it's Rey Mysterio. Rey Mysterio, who wasn't even allowed a proper world title run because he's too small. Now all of a sudden he's going to be taking out the dead man. Somebody kiss my ass. The whole point is that it's just delaying the inevitable which is The Undertaker turning around and pointing at Kane and going, you, you did it, Kane. But the best bit here is he goes to beat up his brother. Kane's like, nah, bro, I ain't doing it. And he gives him a tombstone and he leaves. Great return, Undertaker. You screwed up. You can feel the fans' disappointment here, though, and it's just so baffling. It's like reading a book and all of a sudden it goes, and then the hero pulled down his pants and he went to the toilet. You'd be going back through pages going, wait a minute, where did that come from? Which is exactly what this feels like. I do think there's a level of fun to be had here, but I also think you need to build a bunch of drugs to experience it. There's a man that doesn't do drugs. Well, I've got to give it a down. Amazingly, this is our semi-main event because there's only six matches on the card because of course, when we get to our main event, which we're now doing, it's Team Nexus versus Team WWE, which features 14 wrestlers, so you didn't need to scatter them elsewhere on the card. We've already talked about the Nexus, but they are indeed taking on John Cena, Chris Jericho, Edge, R-Truth, John Morrison, Brat Hart of all people, and of course, Daniel Bryan. Now, this really is an awesome surprise because The Miz comes out pretending he's the seventh member before John. Cena goes no Mizzy baby we couldn't wait around for you we found somebody else it is Daniel Bryan it just feels like a really cool moment. It does mean that in kayfabe, we're meant to believe at some point, somebody phoned Daniel Bryan and said, Daniel, we'd like you to be on Team WWE. We can sort you out a WWE contract. And also, a uh, bit of an ask, are you in the area? And Daniel Bryan went, ironically, yes. But if you break anything down that much, it does become crap. I mean, take either version of football. It's either take this football and put it on the ground or take this football and kick it in the net. I mean, that sounds really stupid to me, and yet when you watch it, best thing ever. The point is, is that sometimes nonsense is fine, and all of this rocks up. Even with this, most people still thought, well, it's going to be the Nexus' night because that makes all the sense in the world. But as we've already hammered down on, WWE just really wanted to make stars out of Wade Barrett and Skip Sheffield, and everybody else, well, they could just be chucked out of a window. Figuratively. Given he'd been fired mere weeks earlier, WWE actually did realise, well, he we better let Daniel Bryan run wild, which they did. And when he taps out Darren Young in just 45 seconds, well, honestly, if it had been anybody else, I think there would have been a meltdown. But we're all just in love with Daniel Bryan, so he gets away with it. The destruction continues when John Morrison gets rid of Michael Tarver after Starship Pain. And then it's time to roll out the right back, or skip Shippen as he has here, because he slams John Morrison with a clothesline and gets a 1-2-3, and then he slams R-Truth with another clothesline and gets a 1-2-3. Don't remember what I just said. This guy clearly was in the plans. The absolute highlight of all of this, at least to me though, was when Bret Hart gets in there. Because as I'm sure you remember, Bret Hart basically wasn't allowed to take any bumps or any real damage here, given everything that he had been through. But he was still allowed to throw some offense, and man, he just hurls the. He punches and he gives Heath Slater an atomic drop and he just looks so damn good. I'm not pretend I'm not being biased here. He would always be my excellence of execution, but still after everything he'd been through, all the problems and he's like 53 years old, he looks so damn good. He is definitely one of the best ever. And just for this reason, and because I had a great time, I'm giving it up. Reversing the clock a bit though, He comes out to the new version of the Heart Foundation theme here that Natalia and the like used to use, and it still pissed me off. If you're trying to turn on my nostalgia gland, Use the classic Hitman theme song. Don't know why WWE didn't do this. I wake up at nights in sweat sometimes, down. It also meant that we had to come up with a creative way to get Bret Hart out of there without doing him any real problems. So of course, when a chair gets thrown in the ring, he gets it and he just starts to smash the crap out of Skip Sheffield. And the reason that's actually quite inventive is because it does get Bret Hart out of there. He gets DQ'd, but now Skip Sheffield, the person we want to push to the moon, well, he's wounded. So we just get Edge in there. We get Chris Jericho in there. He gets hit by the code run he gets hit by the spear. Finally, he does get pinned. But look at the bullet point list I've just gone through. Nobody's going to think he's weak. David Atunga, the forgotten man of all of this, then taps out to the walls of Jericho when finally Heath Slater realises, hang on a minute, shouldn't somebody be using the most devastating move in all the sports entertainment? I'll do it. And my word, he proved it right again. After Cena and Jericho had accidentally collided into each other, Heath does sneak up and he hits the surprise roll up. And this says Edge Potty because he's all John Cena, you always make all these problems, you did it on purpose, I hate you, and completely forgot he's a professional wrestler in a wrestling match. So Slater's like, alright, well it worked once, I'll do it again. And he hits another of the most devastating moves in all of sports entertainment, and he gets the one, two, three, and hot damn, he he's Slater on a damn streak. This isn't it for Edge though, because he loses his damn mind, as he spears John Cena off the apron to the floor, and as Chris Jericho's leaving, he sees Big Mac John and he gives them a kick. And of course, we were doing this in order to make sure that John Cena had opponents once we were done with the Nexus. And it also sets up the fact that it's time for the Nexus to start beating up with John Cena. And look, I get it, you listen to the fans, they're having a great time, but this was an evening to destroy their hopes and dreams. And as you already know, we didn't do it. Imagine we had done that as well though, especially because we used this last stretch to really put Daniel Bryan over. I mean, he gets the hot tag and he literally runs wild I swear, he is one of the best professional wrestlers ever, at least top five. He's able to tap out Heath Slater as well, using the future Yes Lock. When The Miz is back, he clogs Daniel Bryan with the Money in the Bank briefcase, which allows Wade Barrett to pin him. So look how well all of this is done. We're arranging new feuds for the future, and we're protecting the people we need to protect and then it all just goes downhill. Because despite it now being John Cena versus Justin Gabriel and Wade Barrett, despite the fact that John Cena gets a DDT onto the concrete, despite the fact you probably could have thrown a few more old Nexus members out there to cheat, John Cena wins, and the speed of which he does it. Because Gabriel goes for the 450 misses, so Cena just pins in for the 1, 2, 3 like it was nothing. Then Wade Barrett gets in there. He is locked in the STF in around about eight seconds. He taps out, and in the space of probably, what, 60 seconds, we have taken an entire idea and killed it. It just pops the bubble on this whole group and destroys a story that could have gone on for far longer. And while I perfectly understand the argument, yes, Simon, but if we didn't do things like this, John Cena wouldn't be the man he was in 2021 and getting these mega pops. But I'm not Simon Miller in 2021. I'm Simon Miller in 2010. And there's no two ways about it. We should have put the nexus over. And then maybe I'd be standing here going, oh my gosh, Wade Barrett, multiple time world champion but I'm not, and I should, down. And we shall end with me giving you a second opinion, courtesy of Dave Meltzer and his Wrestling Observer. Ratings, Dolph versus Kofi got half a star. Melina versus Fox only got a quarter star, which doesn't make any sense because the best match of all time. Big Show versus Punk and Friends got one and three quarter stars. Orton versus Sheamus got three stars. Ray versus Kane got two and a half stars. And that main event... 3.5 3.5 stars, although I will point out Dave Meltzer agrees Nexus should have gone over. It also means overall you do have to give this event a down because it just leaves a little bit of a sour taste in your mouth, and nobody wants that, it's like drinking crappy milk.
0: Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe.